right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What's happening? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Now, look, I'm recording this a, a, a little early, earlier than usual, to accommodate my travel plans. So it's not that like I'm on the cutting edge of topical shit to begin with, but I, I just want you to know that... Uh, this is a. This has been on the shelf for a few days, and I and I and I hope that's okay with you. I'll try to. I'll try to keep it evergreen. Thinking about reading a couple emails. Thinking about reacting to a couple things. This is really a great conversation today. I'm going to tell you that right now. Tony Hale is on the show today. Now, Tony Hale is truly, I think, one of the funniest comedic actors working. You, you've seen him uh, in Veep. You've seen him on Arrested Development. He's he's now the voice of Forky. In the show, Forky asks a question for the new Disney Plus streaming service uh, that launches tomorrow, November 12th. He also has his own animated show on Netflix called Archibald's Next Big Thing. I did a voice uh, of a hermit crab on that show, but you know him from from all his comedic work and all his straight acting work. But but we had a, a very interesting talk about about faith and about being a person of faith. You know, not so much in in a argumentative way, but just you know the way you know people talk about their life and what their life is. It was just a. I think getting to know Tony was a an exciting thing for me to to do because I have a a great respect for his talent. But now as a person, you get to know people a little better. We had a lot in common. Uh, Jesus not being one of them, but but I, I respect his uh, his position on it and his life uh, in in light of that and and uh, and every and everything else. You know, it was just. One of those talks that, that went a place that's very interesting and exciting to me. So that's coming up. Uh, I, I, I guarantee you, you'll you, you'll be surprised and and uh, excited to get to know Tony. Funny fucking guy. And uh, just great. I mean, Jesus, on Veep, are you kidding me? All right, so here's some emails. Some of them are heavy, but I'll share them with you. You know, I recently engaged with somebody who thought it was, uh, you know, not right, and I talk about this in a future podcast in an interview I just did the other day, to you know share about uh, being an AA, even though I say I don't represent AA, even though there's other ways to get sober and whatever. But you got to know the shit's out there, but there's people within the program that are like, hey man, there's a tradition that uh, says you can't uh, talk about it publicly. Well, well, that condition is like the Constitution. It needs an, uh, it need that tradition. It's like there's a yeah, an amendment needs to be made. This is the real world. This is modern times. This is... You need to save lives. But anyways, I just say that because I do get emails like this one. Sober on the streets of Nashville. Hi, Mark. I wanted to reach out to you today as I just got my first year of sobriety, and it was through your podcast that I came to understand that it was something I wanted. I picked up on the concept of sobriety being treated as a spiritual connectedness through one of your episodes. Forgive me, I can't remember which one it was exactly. And while it took me another year to get sober, I always remember that one moment on your show where you seem to have something I wanted, as we say in the program. Anyways, my wife and I came to your show in Nashville last month. It was hilarious, and we ran into you on the street after. I asked you if you wanted to get dinner, as you seem to seem to tat alone, but you're on your way to the Ryman to see Jason Isbell. It was an honor to be able to say hi to you for a second. Shake your hand, though. I hope you enjoyed Jason, enjoyed performing for us, and had an all-around good time in Nashville. Kind regards, Josh, in Nashville. Yes, I had a great time. Congratulations on your year of sobriety. That is no small feat, man. Good shit. Good for you. So, along the same lines, hey, Mark, subject line lozenges. 
I really enjoy it when you talk about nicotine lozenges. I'm not really sure why I find it so fascinating. I haven't had a cigarette in seven years. I don't, I don't even want to smoke again. I loved it, but I guess I tricked my brain into being over it. Quit cold turkey. I was having weird heart palpitations that were freaking me out, so I quit everything for a week. No caffeine, cigs, booze, nothing. I guess from the caffeine nicotine withdrawals, I ended up sweeping most of the week. It wasn't really hard for me to stay off the cigs and coffee. Gave up my coffee for about five years terrible back on it i love it my life's more enjoyable with a couple of daily cups my buddy's been off cigarettes for two years but he's still on the nicotine gum he says it's great he says it keeps him regular another friend of mine was trying to get off the vape and he heard your pod with dorf and decided to get some walgreens lozenges it worked for him he's off the vape now i catch myself eyeing the lozenges and the gum when i'm at the store would i be an idiot to get on lozenges after being off nicotine for seven years i don't know i have my two cups of coffee in the morning and then i'm like damn now what What's up on those fucking lozenges? Huh. Anyway, congrats for getting off the lozenges. Thanks for the pod and the comedy. So look, dude, don't do it. You're off. You're out. There's no fucking way that you're not going to get strung out on lozenges. If you're an addict, listen to you, even the way you write. Holy shit. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because you'll be in it, you'll be in it, and then you'll have to kick it. I can't believe I'm going on vacation without a fucking monkey on my back. Sorry, I was looking at my phone. Um, why is this happening? It's weird. Like, what? My phone just um, just recorded everything I just said and transcribed it into a text to Brendan. It was not... T- why? This I, I got a 10, and the buttons are fucked. I'm sorry. Where's my brain? Anyways, um, this one gets a little darker. Putting dad down, subject line. Mark, my dad's been suffering from Parkinson's for about 15 years, and his health is, of course, degrading severely as the incurable disease progresses. I struggle emotionally with watching this from a distance and feeling helpless as my job requires I live across the country from my parents. I wish I could be there to help my mother with the growing weight of caring for my aging father and my inability to be there in any constructive manner pains me. So your little back and forth about taking your dad to the vet to put him down struck a chord. It was exactly the comic relief about my own situation I desperately needed. Were you being cynical? Maybe a little, but it highlights our national need to be able to discuss end-of-life planning without stigma or fear. But overall, you brought some much-needed levity to a difficult situation, and I appreciate that. My sense of humor comes primarily from my father, and he would have found your discussion equally amusing. Regards, HR. Glad to help out, pal. Sorry what you're going through. It's horrible. And you're right. We do need to sort of talk about death uh, in in a more grown-up fashion. Uh, without uh, without denial and also about end-of-life planning. I think you're absolutely right. I think that is true. Um, so what does this one say? Oh, yes. Yeah, this is sad. Um, you know, this guy, you know, it's I, I'm dreading this. Dear Mark, subject line, my cat passing. I've been a big fan of yours for years in both good times and bad and the many states of mind and circumstances in between. I've turned to your WTF podcast, to your shows, and to your movies for laughter, insight, and most of all, for heart. Thank you so much for all that you do for me and for millions of others. Two weeks ago, my beloved cat Jasper died suddenly from a cardiac event. There was no warning up to that morning, and he died laying next to me in the passenger seat of my car on the way to the emergency vet, my hand petting the top of his head, trying to soothe his tremendous pain. I cried my eyes out, and when I got to the vet, 
even more so when I was told, as I'd feared, that he was indeed gone and there was nothing more that I or anyone else could do to save him. Today, having picked up his ashes from the vet and with many tears shed, I think about how I've gotten through the last couple of weeks and how among my friends and family, and yes, my psychoanalyst too, another person has also been such an ally in this journey of mourning. Uh, You, Mark Marin, and your WTF podcast, I think of your love, your grittiness, your unabashedly being yourself, and I think of you, your being a cat person through and through, and how I believe you'd get this, that you'd empathize with me, and that I'd feel both your humor and your heart. So I'm writing this in hopes of it reaching you, maybe even hearing something back, and to say that you keep helping my life get better, including in times of loss. Respectfully yours, Jack in Seattle. Jack, I'm sorry, man. You know, there's nothing anyone can say or do to make grief any easier i mean maybe you can make it easier but it's still gonna last as long as it's gonna last and we love these fucking animals god damn it i've been spending so much time with monkey right now because he's sick and he's 15 and his sister's 15 and i'm, I'm giving him the pills i don't think i'm gonna get him radiated because he's oh he's okay but i'm really paying attention to enjoying his company it's a weird thing that you get to do, not so much with parents or kids or maybe when they're sick, but I don't want to be too dark. But, you know, with animals, when they get old, you, you know, you're, you're supposed to outlive the animals, generally speaking. And, you know, it's coming. And I think that there is a way to start the grieving before they go. But I'm sorry you lost your cat suddenly. I hope he had a good life with you and that you had a good life with him. And you know what, Jack? And I'm not this is not cynical. But once you get over it you can just get another one. I know the cat with Jasper was special, but they're all fucking geniuses and you can just pick them up off the street. They're like everywhere. There's you, you with two, with one phone call, you could find a dozen cats if you wanted. You, there's, there's plenty of cats that need love and uh, you will find the strength to get one uh, eventually. And, uh, but I, I hear you. I empathize. I, I get it, dude. Tony Hale you know him from Veep, from Arrested Development, from other features, animated things, drunk history, all of that. He's uh, the voice of Forky in the show. Forky asks a question for the new Disney Plus streaming service. Uh, that launches tomorrow, November 12th. He also has his own animated show on Netflix called Archibald's Next Big Thing. I did a voice for that. I played a hermit crab. And I was, I've always been curious about uh, Tony and, and what he's like and who he is and I was thrilled to have him and glad he came over I didn't know if it was going to happen and it's it's happened it's happened and he's here so this is me talking to Tony Hale enjoy so how'd our cartoon turn out so for those of you who didn't know yeah. Mark did a voice on this cartoon I produced called Archibald's Next Big Thing and he played a hermit crab yeah. who was very used to living alone and his shell yeah. got broke and Archibald the chicken came along and said well I need to help you find a home and and his name was Freddie yeah yeah. and Freddie was like no I'm okay I'm okay I'm okay and Archibald's like no let me help you you want me to do it no I'm okay I'm okay <laughs> I'm okay and then in the end the lesson is like you know he needed a little push to get some friends he yeah. always thought he, oh I can live an isolated life and yeah. Archibald's like no you need we need community yeah yeah, and it worked out and then there yeah, was a lot of crabs out. at the end I remember you you built a crab condo yeah a crab condo out of, out of broken pottery pieces it, it, <laughs> But this was, but that was based on a book you co-wrote. 
I wrote with my buddies uh, Tony Biagni and Victor Huckabee years ago called Archibald's Next Big Thing. But was that a, a, a popular book? It kind of, nah. I mean, it was it was an amazing experience. I don't think it like did it did not do gangbusters, mm. but it was really fun because it was based on this idea of me always looking to the next thing and missing where I was. Oh. And so Archibald- That's a real problem we all have, Tony. A, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm still struggling with it. <laughs> yeah. And he gets, anyways, he gets a card in the mail that says your big thing is here. And he's yeah. like, where? And he goes on all these adventures, but he's like, I got to get to my next big thing. And this B comes along. It's like, you got to just be, man. Yeah. <laughs> and then in the end, he realizes the truth is our big thing is right here. My big thing is talking to you right now. That's my big thing. Right. But do you have this problem? <clears throat> like I noticed this as we're talking about <clears throat> that thing I did with you is that, and I knew you were coming over today, is that I knew I did it. I knew I played a hermit crab. Mm. I knew I was cranky. Mm-hmm. And, but like, because really when it comes Which was down- very nice of you to do, by the way. I appreciated you doing it. No, it's great. I'm, I was happy to do it. Uh, it was fun. But like, it's really like you're only, I'm in the studio basically one day and then another mm-hmm. day for pickups. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting in there yesterday and I'm like, I can't remember the fucking story. I know I was a crab, mm-hmm. but does that happen to you or, am I, or should I go to the doctor? No, you shouldn't go- <laughs> What if today's the day I'm like, you have a real problem, Mark? <laughs> um, no, I... Like, it, I it can't does. remember shit. Well, I... Okay, here's... This is what my... I say this knowing that I still struggle with it. So I'm yeah. coming from a place of like, this is a daily battle for right. me. I don't remember most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I th- I actually don't remember sixth grade down at all. Really? Not even bits? I don't remember friends. I don't remember teachers. I don't remember anything. None of it. None of it. None of it. Really? Yeah. Therapists have tried to crack the code. I don't even understand. But I but I do know the older I got, yeah. I still don't remember much. However, when I wasn't practicing being present in a place, yeah. I feel like I've been most I've been pretty detached for most of my life, whether it be with anxiety or right. checked out somewhere else, whether in you know, dreaming about something yeah. or creating narratives that haven't happened yet, whatever it is. And when that happens horrible narratives? I, oh yeah, fully, like full narratives. Yeah, I've like, already walked through <laughs> trauma that doesn't even exist. Yeah. And so I think with that, um, you're not there. Yeah. And so I don't remember it. And the times that I have practiced being present, and I will say Veep is an example of that. Yeah. Or during Arrested Development, I was not very present. And that's where the book came from. Right. Veep, where I really- Where Archibald came from? Where the, yeah, that kind of idea of yeah. just being present. Right. And Veep, um, I really tried to be there and I remember more. Yeah, of that. Of that. And it's recent. And it's recent and it's a lesson I'm trying, especially having a daughter- She's 13. She's 13 now. 13? She's 13 and I'm really like, Tony, be right here. Don't be somewhere checked out in your head because these are going, yours are going fast. Right. They do go by very fast and I just have old cats to look at. Yeah. I don't have very any children. Very sweet cats that I just met. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe one of them is 15. There are two of them are 15. Where, where They're mon- brother and sister. Where the, <laughs> where'd the name monkey come from? Monkey looked like a monkey. He did. You think the when cat I, looked like a monkey? When I first got him, he had this weird tuft of hair on his nose Aww. that went away. Uh-huh. That kind of reconfigured his face to look yeah. more like a monkey face. Aww. Yeah. Where did you get him? I got LaFonda and Monkey, and they were running around. LaFonda. <laughs> yeah, that was my- That's so good. My, uh, my uh, ex-wife uh, named that cat. I think it was probably after Napoleon Dynamite, but- I pulled those cats out of the back alley of my Astoria apartment in 2004. Oh, wow. wow. And there were five of them, and they were all feral. It's quite a story. I've told it many times. <laughs> I, I trapped them all in boxes 
thinking they would just be fun kittens, but they were already wild. And then I couldn't get them out of my house, and it was a fucking disaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you don't have any allergies? No, yeah. not that I know of. Do mm-hmm. you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 100%. Cat? <laughs> yeah. Did you know that you were cats? We're... Nope. <laughs> you, you were supposed to be told. It's totally fine. I've right, got when... my inhaler with me. Oh, okay. Because years ago- So uh, you might have watched me have a- A, a full an allergy? asthma attack on- Radio. I've seen it before. Years ago, Ed Helms almost died in the garage, and sadly and selfishly, I had not gotten the amount of time I wanted out of him. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I let poor Ed wheeze through. So he has asthma, Ed. He has cat allergy bad. Yeah. And, and like real bad, because that garage, I didn't even let the cats in. So it must have been through the air conditioner oh, yeah. or something. I think the old, uh, I, I used to not be able to have any pets. We got some dogs. And I think that has kind of decreased Helped my the, sensitivity. The dander sensitivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about this thing because like you're saying that um, with Veep, you were more present and, and more able to remember, though it was recent. Don't you find that like during Arrested Development, at least in the first season, I mean, you were still struggling to some degree, mm-hmm. right? Oh, I mean, yeah. You know, so that whole weird struggle part of mm-hmm. like, you know, like, am I going to land? Is this, you yeah. know, like, if everything that you do that's still part of that active struggle before you sort of land and go, mm-hmm. I'm okay. If if you're lucky enough to be okay, which you are in terms of, you know, mm. career. Mm. Right? I mean, you're st- it's still always a, uh, a a struggle to be like rest and just, hey, I'm provided for. <laughs> you know, it's right. like that's right. But it's in amazing the middle, how we're always, younger. Yeah, it's always a hustle. It can always feel like a hustle. But yeah. that anxiety it, yes. it levels. Yes. It, it levels your ability to sort of yes. take in what's happening. And I talk about this a lot of time to the point where I'm like, oh, God, I'm sure I'm just boring everybody. Who? But I don't know. Anytime I this is I mean, it, I get on a bit of a soapbox about it because I I got my dream on Arrested Development and it didn't satisfy me the way I thought it was going to satisfy me. And Does it, anything? Um, if I think if I, but here's the thing. Anything doesn't if your expectations are unrealistic. And my, I think I came into Arrested Development because all the times in New York, I was like, yeah. all I wanted was a sitcom. I just wanted a sitcom. And I was there seven years and I was like, that's coming, that's coming. And I gave it too much weight. Uh. And then I got there and I was like, oh, the reality, I, uh, just the reality of like, I gave it too much uh, power. Yeah. And so I think because of that, I woke up to the fact of like, I had been just not been very present. You oh, know? I might see. I think that when I really look at things, my expectations are really, really for, for the most part, just to feel better. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, well, I, yeah. And I, think, I don't think it's going to solve any big problems or that I'm going to launch into some part of some other level yeah. of fame. But like, I'd like to get through something, and after I'm through it, not go like, God, I don't. I could have done but better. Don't, <laughs> in but do you don't mean? you don't you? Do, I don't know if you do this. I I think my time in New York, and I still do this to an extent. Whatever I was going through, whether it was, you know, the struggle or life or something, yeah. there was always this fantasy and narrative in my head of like, oh, once that sitcom happens, once this perfect job happens. And for me, it was the job someone else it could be once I get married, once I have a baby, right, whatever yeah, sure, it is. Sure. Then something's going to click in. And right, right, you, right. I gave that thing too much power. And it's just, oh, yeah. you know, and then I, then I was there and I was like, and I've said this a lot, but it's that thing of if you're not practicing contentment where you uh, are, you're not yeah. going to be content when you get what you want. Those seems to be the big theme. So, like, where do you where do you come from? And just in and growing up, yeah. Um, I was the South. I was right. Well, my dad was in the army. I was an army brat. Really? Like, how much? How much did you travel? I think I traveled. I think it was like seven times before, six or seven times before the seventh grade. Yeah. 
and that my brother and I talk about this. That might have been a part of the memory thing. Just you, you really didn't really. Uh, but were you like in Germany and? Yeah, we were in Germany. We lived in Heidelberg and Berlin for for five years, and then the seventh grade we settled in Tallahassee. Oof. And the, <laughs> I love Tallahassee. Why do you have that reaction? I don't. <laughs> I, do you I, not like Florida? I, I avoid it. My mother's there. Oh, but she's where? In, she's in. Uh, My parents are in Vero Beach, Hollywood, Florida, Fort okay. Lauderdale area. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, the Jew area. Yeah, yeah, and sure, <laughs> sure, yeah, and uh, Jews and Germans in the summer. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I've grown to appreciate Florida. But I, I actually did a show in Tallahassee. Um, at the college at FSU, yeah, part mm-hmm. of a program which was good, but it yeah. was like shortly after the election. I yeah. mean, Tallahassee's the South, where my mother yeah. is is something else. It is true. Uh, Tallahassee is very Georgian. Yeah, and uh, my feelings was just only because, like you know, it's a very small pocket of blue. If it, you know, mm-hmm. within that world, mm-hmm. and you know, you, at that time, you know, I'm looking at the businesses and the way that you know, I'm, I'm judging to a certain degree. Sure. But I did have one of these revelations there, where you know, I'm, you know, I was at some health food restaurant near the college, and there was mm-hmm. three or four like older looking progressive people, mm-hmm. kind of huddled and talking about how terrified they were. And I'm like, is this what America's going to look like? We're just like huddled groups of yeah, you know, yeah, old yeah, hippies yeah. going like, we're in trouble. You yeah, know? Yeah, 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 so, yeah. so I think it was my, my opinion of it. The school seemed great and the audience was pretty good. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I just spent middle school and high school there and I, you know, I was, I had a typical, you know, off and on growing up, but it's like, I had, I, f- I had some really good memories there. So I enjoy going back. So you do have those memories. Yes. A couple. A couple. Yeah. But I mean, to that point, I mean, it was tough at times, but I, I found this theater that I really kind of felt seen and enjoyed. My brother was into sports. I wasn't into sports. Really? Wait, like, what was he? Like he was a soccer guy? He was a soccer, soccer? player. And I just older brother? He was older. Yeah. And I didn't like sports. And in the South, you know, everything is sports. And so- when my parents found this theater, it was a real gift, and so I have a lot of very, very fond memories of that. So theater. That you were like a children's theater. Yeah, it was Young Actors Theater in Tallahassee, Florida, and it was started by Tina Williams, and it was just. And the thing is, I'm a huge, I'm a huge advocate for arts education because yeah. even if you don't go into a career like we have, yeah, certain personalities need those environments to thrive, and yeah. I was, I was one of those personalities. Yeah, I just did a benefit. I host the benefit every year for Flea's um, Music Conservatory. Oh, the yeah. Silver Leak Conservatory of Music. Yeah, yeah. Which he, he did in response to public schools cutting yeah. music programs. I know. And I don't even... I mean, it's... The, the, I was not just... There's so many personalities that need that environment, and it's crazy for them to keep cutting those like, funds. What about... Well, what about your... Because, like, I had that. You know, like, I had a guitar teacher... Yeah, like I didn't do it in public school. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't really the music classes didn't resonate with me too much. I was it, they were sort of aggravating, but guitar lessons did. Mm-hmm. And but what is it that you think? What kind of personality? What was it about you? Mm, well, I mean, I was a, I was a very uh, I was a really sensitive kid. I was kind of a uh, little bit uh, a lot of energy. <laughs> Not, yeah, you know, just kind of. Making jokes and quirky yeah. and um, all that kind of stuff and I don't know oh, beyond. <laughs> I just wanted everybody to like me. Yeah, very needy. Um, there was I, I didn't I, I remember this one story. Yeah. I didn't like sports so much. I remember doing this swim meet and yeah. these people were swimming next to me and I stopped in the middle of the meet and stood up 
And my dad has this look like, what are you doing? Keep going. And he said, I had this look that was like, why? I'm exhausted. Why would I, why would I keep swimming? Um, but it was just, I felt like the theater was a space where, and I was encouraged to be kind of dramatic and right. goofy and think beyond the box. And I, I loved making people laugh. And well, what was your dad like? What? So it's a military family, but it's yeah. not. It's not. It's not great Santini style, is it? No, my dad was very. Um, he, I really. They were always very supportive. My grandfather was in was an opera singer, and he was your he, dad's father. Yeah, and he performed also in a lot of clubs in Miami. He died. He died when my dad was. Um, very young. So my dad had an appreciation for the arts. So I, so in addition to having his kind of military, you know, training, he was very huh. um, artistic. I too. wonder what drove him to the military. I don't know. I mean, we've- I, Is he I've still never, around? Yeah, he's still around. We've never really, it's uh, a good question. We've never talked about it, but I think he went to West Point. <laughs> oh, he did. And he even taught nuclear physics at West Point at one point. So he's a smart guy. He's a very smart guy. Really, a sensitive guy. Him and my, but him and my mom were always very supportive. And what's your mom do? She was, um, she she did a lot of things. She um, stayed at home with us when we were growing up, and yeah. then she uh, just you and your brother, me and my brother, yeah. and well, my sister. We have an older sister too. Oh, you do. And but she also was actually involved in politics a lot. She helped people with campaigns when Bob Graham went for senator and. She helped this woman uh, uh, in Atlanta when she was going through her campaign. Yeah. And, you know, so she's, she, was, she was kind of involved in politics, too. Yeah. So did, did, were you aware of that then? No, I was only aware of myself. Yeah. <laughs> I was, it was all about me. I was just like, when can I, when can I like, get a laugh? When can I get attention? How, can, how popular can I be? Well, all did, that well, stupid stuff. But do you like when, you know, in your work, because so, you're sort of a very unique and uh, memorable comic talent. Oh, that's nice. That's As true. are you. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, but you know, it, it is kind of interesting, especially with the stuff you do on Veep, that that, th- that character, mm-hmm. you know, in and of itself is this like insanely codependent character. Yeah. Like to, 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 to a degree that I don't think's ever been really explored. Yeah. And, uh, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it seems to come and as off- is Buster Bluth on Arrested Development. True. Mm-hmm. But these are sort of like from what you're saying to me that, you know, this is a, a big component of your personality. It is. I do codependency very well. Yeah. Um, I but do did a- you find like when you were younger that, you know, you were at a loss for outside of knowing how to laugh? I'm knowing how to get laughs or wanting to get laughs. I'm just j- yeah. like, thinking about my own life. Did yeah. you did you did you kind of um, glom on to stronger personalities? To kind of like- um, oh, that's a good way to look. Yeah, I, I think I. Hmm, that's a that's a good question because I think if if a person was very popular, I yeah. would probably yeah, I, I can see myself wanting. To, yeah, I did try to attach myself to them to get some kind of identity. Right. Um, and that is what Gary did on Veep with Selena. Right. He had no identity outside right. of Selena Meyer. So yeah, I I. I I think I did that all through high school. I did too. And I, I it, like, it, it's weird. I don't, because I consider you a fairly strong personality. And I consider myself one too, but there's this, this emotional thing. Mm-hmm. And I have tried to figure out exactly <laughs> why I have it. Yeah. I do think though, because I've listened to your podcast yeah. a lot and this is what's great about life is you, I mean, I, I still, it's not that I don't struggle with it, but man, the older you get, you really do identify when, huh? I have a strong I I can I can settle in an identity I have mm-hmm. and a value and I have and not not have to give power to that other person. 
you know. No, for sure. But like, there's still a, a, a there. I still find that I have a fundamental envy of people that seem so non-reflecting, non-reflexively grounded in mm. themselves. Mm. Like you know, when you see people that like that guy never goes. Who, who am I? Why am I so mm-hmm. friendly? <laughs> I'm actually envious of that too. I'm, yeah. I'm envious of not walking around life and going, hey, we're spending on a planet, guys. Yeah. This doesn't, you know. It's not, not going to end I, well. I just drove by a graveyard. We're all going there. You know, like we're all, or like you want, sometimes you want to stand up at events and be like, hey, we're all going to die. Does anybody recognize that? But some people, you're right. They kind of go through life and they accept, they, it. They accept it and they accept that. I, I, it's taken a long time for me to accept the uncertainty, to live in the powerlessness of it all. And yeah. To kind of almost live in the question, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I find that if I let myself get exhausted by anxiety, all those questions seem to become unimportant. The life questions? Yeah. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Where it's just sort of like, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But do you also find it, I think there's another side of it. I find it very um, comforting when I'm giving too much anxiety to something, too much power to something, and I'm like, Tony, I go to a meta place, and I'm yeah. like, we're, again, we're spinning on a planet. I was doing Conan uh, once, and I walked o- I walked off stage. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I didn't feel like I did. It was very funny, and I bombed I, or said something, this something stupid. No, this was, uh, well, maybe a couple years ago. I had this feeling like recently, yeah. And I walked off and I went up to Andy and I was like, Andy, I just, I don't think that was very funny. I think I bombed. And he goes, Tony, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And he's like, I think he he gave the example of like, it's like a paper boat in the ocean. It just goes away. Andy's very good at that. He's so good at that. And I was like, and somebody else might interpret that as like, wow, that's really hip. But that was such a gift to me. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. It even, and it matters even less now usually. Yeah. In the sense of like, you know, who's going to see it? What are you really worried about? Who's going to judge you like you're going to judge yourself? Well, it's that narrative. I mean, I'll create a whole narrative of that. Someone will take that to an extreme and think, you know, whatever. Right. And it's all my thing of creating conversations that people might be having. Or actually, here's the thing. It's all narcissism to think that anybody will be thinking that much about Well, that's what I, I used to do a yeah. joke. But it wasn't really a joke. It was a line I wrote that where I said, uh, you know, most of what other people are thinking is something you're making up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They're not thinking. They don't. Like, think about yourself, really. Yeah. And how much time do you spend? It's just crazy. And the classic example, I'm sure you've done this, of like when you're with a director, you're doing a scene. and Yeah. And you think you didn't do it right. You go home and you think how much that director is obsessing about how awful you are, what choice, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, like that like, director has got so much to think about. He's got so much on his plate. He's not thinking about you. Or also when you walk off going like, you know, they don't care because like that was terrible. And it's like, well, they chose to say cut. Yes. They're moving on. Yeah, they got it, something. It, 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 a lot is hanging on them. Yeah. You know, they're not going to let you do garbage. Yeah. You just go like, fuck it. We'll just let that guy die. Do you know what? A, a cool thing that I learned on Veep, I'm again, still yeah. learning, but- David Mandel took up the show from Armando Yanucci, and David was so fantastic. But, um, however, when I was with um, Armando Yanucci, one thing Brits do, which is uh, really great, they don't give you highs and lows in terms of response. Uh-huh. So it's like when we were with Armando Yanucci, he, you would do something, and I think I'm so used to like, okay, the director's either going to be like, oh my gosh, that was so great, or you're going to know oh, that kind yeah. of was not great. Yeah. But Armando always gave this kind of flat kind of even keel response to where you I had to begin to learn to trust my own uh, my own validation right, my right. own you know yeah. sense of how I think it went 
and walk off and go, I can't rely on that director's because in a typical actor format, you're like, okay, he did a little chuckle, his eye, you know, you you read however you think you did. Yeah. And our manager just gave this real flat thing, and it, it taught me to trust myself. And I really, it was, it was a good four years of that. Right. Well, it's it's about hijacking or, 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 or at least pushing back on that voice that always tells you the same thing, right? That yeah, you're, yeah. It's not quite good enough or it wasn't quite right. Like, yeah. we put that voice inside of our head because it seems like we have a lot in common ar- around this. And the best explanation that, that I found for it, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it'll help you. No, please. Was this, uh, I read this book called The Fantasy Bond by Robert Firestone. Ooh, that's a great title. It's great. Well, the idea is that, you know, when you're younger, if your parents are self-involved or they're, you know, emotionally selfish mm-hmm, or negligent mm-hmm. or even abusive, that when you feel uncomfortable as a very young person, um, you, you can't blame your parents because they're your parents. Mm-hmm. So you naturally blame yourself. Yeah. So you implement mm-hmm. a, a, a dialogue, an inner parent that tells you you're bad, yeah. that you're not good enough, that yeah. like clearly it can't be your parents. It's yeah. got to be you. Yeah. And that sticks in there. Hmm. And that works for me, but it sounds like your parents were, were supportive. Did they um, did they give one tool that this therapist gave me that I love yeah. in regards to that is um, if I'm, you know, feeling just, you know, the negative self-talk we do and just beat ourselves up. And, and I think about if my daughter came to me and said, hey, dad, I'm feeling kind of low. I'm yeah. feeling kind of stressed out, yeah. overwhelmed. I would be like, honey. It's going to be okay. I'd hold her. I'd be like, hey, we're in this together. Let's do this. However, I don't talk to myself that way. And he's like beginning to talk to yourself as though you would to your daughter. Right. You know? Yeah. And I just, it's just, it's it's so habitual for me to be like, Tony, what an idiot. Why would you do that? All this kind of stuff. And that, but I would never say that to my daughter. So self-parenting. Yeah, self-parenting. Yeah. In a healthy way. No, it's great. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I had that thing the other night. I taped a special and we did two tapings, right? And the first taping did not go well. Mm. And I knew it was not. I knew I could hit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew it wasn't right. But everyone around me, you know, director, executives are like, great, we got it. And I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I knew I was right. Would you say you you built that on the response you got or the, the inner kind of like... I knew I could do the turns better. I knew I could do the rhythms better. Well, no, it was just because it was like it was a different type of theater. It was at the we did it at the Red Cat Theater, which is a black box theater, mm-hmm. which is a, kind of a, a, a sparse, intense place. Right. And I was too like I wanted to hit everything right, mm-hmm. so I was too kind of in it. Yeah, like, yeah, it was, yeah. Felt too rehearsed. The audience it was seven on a Wednesday. Yeah, and yeah, they were just yeah, yeah. You know, they were entertained, but sure. I, I couldn't get a role going, and I knew that. Mm. And so going into the second one, either I could have went like, I'm fucked. I'm just mm-hmm. fucked all night. Or I'm like, dude, how are you going to stay open? How are you going to show up for this? How yeah. are you going to like, you know, make this happen? Yeah. How are you going to get over this hump? Right. Mm-hmm. And luckily the audience, I heard them with the opener. I was like, no, oh, they're okay. They're better. You know, they're, they're more responsive. I, I have such admiration for stand up. I really oh. do. <laughs> it's like... Man, just what you guys get, and then able to say, "All right, moving on." Oh uh, yeah, it, well, I just knew that if I walked away from that second show with that same feeling, I would. But now, like I did it, and I'm like, it's over. I've been working a year and a half on that material, and it's almost like a relief. A year and a half. Yeah, and like you, you know, I didn't even. Oh, it doesn't matter. So, how do you get from Tallahassee? Like, how do you? Where do you? How, so you pursue theater? How does it work? So I studied. Yeah, I did. I loved theater and. To Tallahassee in high and school. then in high school and then going to college I didn't know if I could make a career out of it so I studied journalism which really? that's like a dying art yeah but were you interested in that um 
Mm, I was more in the mass communications part of journalism because I, I think I told them I liked people. Yeah. Just because I didn't know if I could make a career off acting. Right. And I did that for four years. Had a great experience at college, and then in after, journalism, in journalism in Alabama at the sc- school called Samford, and then Alabama, and at Birmingham, Alabama. So, oh, I, I, we shot there. That's a great town, really. What did you shoot? The uh, Lynn Shelton movie, Sword of Trust. Oh yeah, we did two weeks there. It was I a- love Birmingham. Yeah, there's something about it, huh? I love it. And so I, um, anyways, I did that, and then after that, I was like, well, let me dip my toe back into this acting thing. And I, in 1995, I moved to New York, and just, and I didn't know anybody. Right after college? No, right after college, I went back home for a year, and then I, then I actually, I studied in Virginia a little bit. Acting. Acting, just to kind of really... In Virginia, how do you get to Virginia from... Like, you go back home to Tallahassee and then... I went back home to Tallahassee. I heard about the school in Virginia. And honestly, I just needed a space. I had a lot of anxiety getting back into acting. I think I just had this... Um, if I'm to be honest, which, you know, you're very good at the honesty stuff. I had... I remember having a panic attack in high school during a show and I thought it was an asthma attack and it was a panic attack. Oh, and it's the worst. You couldn't breathe and you're like, and I couldn't breathe I that. And I didn't know what was happening. And then after after that, I, that was, I think that was a large part of not wanting to invest in acting in college in addition to not knowing I could make a career out of it. And so after college, I was like, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to like make the jump. So then I started doing this Virginia just to get back on stage, just to kind of see if you know, I could get past this anxiety. Was it like before you went out there? Like before the show or when did it happen? Like how, um, how It was it... during a show, Little Abner, during a high school show, during a, during a song, Jubilation T. Cornpone. And I just all of a sudden couldn't breathe. And I, I remember rushing off stage to get my inhaler, taking it and not working and being like, what's going on with my body? Yeah. And then I remember also in college having panic attacks. I remember being on this bus, going to this retreat and having this feeling of like, wait, we're in a bus in the mountains. If I have something happens, there's no place to go. Like that kind of like neurosis. And at that time, panic attacks were not, you know, talked about. Right. No one really knew what was going on. Right. Um, no kind of, you know, specific, th- like since then I've been able to do a lot of cognitive behavioral therapy kind of stuff, which I really love. But the, but not the breathe in the bag thing. Back then they were like, what's going on? Yeah. And so it was just so much fear because you're like, wait, I know, I know because you'd always get like, you're fine. Like yeah. there's nothing wrong with you. Right. And you're like, okay, but my body feels like yeah. it's shutting down. I went to the, the, the doctor a lot in college. Oh yeah. yeah. And it was just, uh, it's, uh, it's awful. My mind was always my hands and feet are tingling. Tingling, yeah. And also your vision gets very narrow. Yeah, blurry. You never feel like you're uh, going to get over that breath. Oh, it's the worst. So I haven't had the breathing one in a while. Man, I'm so grateful for therapy. Anyway, so after that, I didn't. I still wanted to do this acting thing, but just this anxiety was keeping me from it. But it sounds like so. But you had anxiety about everything. But it was usually it was triggered by your brain getting into a, an existential existential dread mode. I think if I'm honest, it was my anxiety at the end of high school, in college. You can temper and keep those situations anxiety at a level. Yeah, and then your body says, "I got to react to this." Yeah, <laughs> you know this is. You're keeping a lid on stuff that you can't keep a lid on anymore, and your body starts, you know, bubbling over, and what, that's and what you was mean happening. Mentally, I think mentally, family stuff, 
you know, personal stuff, just kind of like, you know, there's addiction in my family, all this kind of stuff. And just like, you know, different stuff that you just kind of, uh, you can kind of keep a happy face on and then your body starts reacting Oh, uh, so to you it. grew up like, you know, you were the, you were the, the kid who was, you know, keeping it all together. Yeah. I think, and, I think kind of like, um, yeah. And trying to make everybody happy. Yes. And very, um, yeah. People, Even knowing that things were not right. Yeah. Yeah. Which a lot of, you know, a lot of kids do. Of course. Yeah. You know, there's like, you know, there's only a couple ways to go with that. Either you become, you know, uh, uh, an addict or whatever, or you're the other guy. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Go? <laughs> and I was very much the performer. <laughs> right, right. And I'm good. I was good at it. Like you become all things to all people. Yeah. I, I just talked to, who did I just, John Goodman about this. Really? Yes. Very, very similar trip. Real people pleasing, very hard on himself. Sure. Still. And the crazy, the cool thing about life, as you know, mm -hmm. is kid deals with anxiety, all things to all people. It's neat how shit can turn into uh, Funny. productive things. But this is you exact, know? but this is, yeah, for sure. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. If you don't have that, if if whatever it is, you know, and you can be vague about it to protect sure, whatever. Sure, sure. But I mean, whatever it is, you're not getting the, the sort of closure, you know, the, the sort of consistent kind of grounded closure you need from the parents, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So your brain's just sort of like, well, I, why am I uncomfortable then? It can't be them. And, mm -hmm. you know, you've got to manage. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're doing their best because right, they, yeah. they, they, you know, everybody, they didn't have the foundation they needed. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's yeah. at the, but when you're a kid, yeah, exactly. you don't, <laughs> you can't understand you do, that. You don't understand it. You don't have the tools to know yeah. how to manage it. Yeah. All you know is survival mode. Yeah. And you will, um, and when you get the kind of gratification of whether it be an audience or, hey, if I'm this way to this person, they're going to get, they're going to like me. I mean, and they're feel the, also the, the biggest assholes. Yeah from high school yeah. and yet still wanting them to like me. I know. It's, believe it's me, like I a know. dog returning to its vomit. You're yeah, like, what yeah, is yeah. going on? Going back to the scene of the crime yeah, it's to reenact it over and over again. But that's the level of need where you're just like, oh my God, if you like me, then maybe I'll have, some, you know, all that kind of crazy stuff. I can't figure stuff. out what it is. Like, there's something about charming monsters. Yeah, that's that, a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, it, it makes you feel safe for a minute. But like it's so and even in this business, you know, oh, it's just dude, I know there's that sense of uh, subconsciously going, oh, if that person sees me a certain way, and then you have to step away and go, wow, why am I giving this person power? Oh, this is it all comes back to childhood, sure, you know, and, and also like you start to realize, in, in I realized late, but I do realize it that like all these people are fucking broken weirdos themselves. We're all like, broken weirdos. I know, and it's just sort of like. In that moment where you're thinking I need approval, like you know, you don't see them as a person anymore. Like there's some other thing going on. There's oh some, yeah, there's some. I you know, like there's you know, a huge transference happening. Yeah, yeah. I like I don't always understand it, but as a funny person, mm -hmm. you know, like in high school, like you know, you can sort of broker, you know, between all clicks mm -hmm. because you're funny. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, but there's always that kind of weird moment where that I started to feel, which is you know, like all right, so I got all these monsters laughing, but mm -hmm. it still feels like I'm, uh, you know, I'm just one line away from getting my ass kicked. <laughs> <laughs> I've got all these monsters laughing. Oh, that's so good. That is so good. And in the moment, you're like, I got the monsters laughing. Yeah, so I got them. I, or at least I got the monsters to invite me to their party. Right. 
It's like, why? And then uh, uh, across the board, I even do this, you know, as a parent, I'm sure, or I'll probably do this more, but like, why do you want to be at that monstrous party? I don't want to be at the monstrous party. I want to be invited to the monstrous party. Right, right, right. You know, it's like, I want to be accepted by the monsters. But do we, but but like, it's because we think the monsters have their shit together more than we do somehow. Like at least they, they're just monsters. They don't think about the sad kid. No, (laughs) yeah. Right. And they're in survival mode as well. I guess, but it it seems like, you, you know, it just seems a lot more together yeah well i mean cut to everybody's instagram with a together picture and nobody's together oh it's the worst what a, <laughs> it's like just a never-ending cry for help on all platforms <laughs> can't fucking take it like you know i know people that are post like nine instagrams a day i'm like dude this is getting sad it's getting <laughs> and it's like it's yeah it's a highlight reel i mean i'm on it I don't myself even know. But... I, i'm on it but like i forget to do it sure when you pull away a little bit and you start to look at the people you know and how much they're posting they're like wait are you doing anything with your life <laughs> i mean are all you thinking about is the next tweet or the next thing well yeah i mean i i i I, I, I'll be in conversations with someone and be thinking about the next. Yeah, of course. Thing, like, I got to put know? that up there. That'd yeah. be good. I'm going to do. Or just again. like what I'm doing next. Yeah, I'm not in this conversation. You know, now oh, I feel yeah. like I am. But but how do you serve? Like for my look, I was a drug guy where you know I would create sort of identities for myself yeah. uh, involuntarily. Yeah. You know, but once it became the angry drunk guy, that lasted a good long time. Yeah. But there was definitely different sort of you know, uh, uh, hair and facial hair configurations, different yeah. outfits. So like, but I really, if you watch my history on Conan O'Brien, you know, I, there was, you can just see a history of outfits <laughs> of a guy who never quite landed on it. On a sure. Sensor. Yeah. Yeah. But like, how did you get through? God, so- I love that. I, I love that question because I think I medicated with identities. I right. think I, I think I, in high school I had my own like, um, quirky, funny at high school. I was one person at the theater. I was one person. And again, you know, nobody's fault but my own. Like I was just creating something. And then I went to this um, Baptist school. Yeah. And if I'm honest, I came into that going, all right, I'm going to step into this Southern khaki wearing Christian man. Yeah. And that'll be my identity. (laughs) And I did for four years. Yeah. Um, And honestly, (laughs) I think God had, you know, he probably, you know, my faith is very important to me. And I think through that, he, yeah. I be, he began to reveal himself to me. Uh-huh. Um, and I was like, you know, it, and that I, it's like I could maintain that kind of facade for so long. And then I just, the shit fell apart and I was like, I'm a disaster. And that's where God, my higher power stepped in. Yeah. And it's like, I'm here for your disaster. I'm not here for this cookie cutter Christian image, you know, pastel shirt wearing, whatever. Oh, yeah. And he stepped in, you know. And And he let you off the hook? Totally. (laughs) And he he still lets me off the hook. But it's like, I'm Stephen... You know, even moving to L.A., yeah. we, I came from New York, and I had never been on a studio lot. I'd never had that much free food in my life. You know, I was just like, what's going on? And then I kind of stepped into that identity, and then the, then I realized, okay, let me break that down and just try to be more myself and all that right. kind of stuff. It's, it's, it, it's hard. Like, like, you can hear me on this show. I mean, if I talk to, like, if I'm talking to Mel Brooks, I will become old and Jewish. <laughs> Within minutes. <laughs> well, I mean, because to get Mel Brooks to like you, there's that part in us that's, I mean, I I even walk probably walk away from this going, well, I don't know, was that good? Did Mark like me? Does he, he's such a cool guy. He's funny. He's smart. Cool. You know, it's like, yeah. I wonder what he's thinking about me. You know, it's everybody do, plays that narrative in their head. Do you they? Know? 
Yes, I th- I I think if we're I think if we're maybe you know I can't say everybody, but it's like I it's, most of the people I know. There's always these certain figures in their life that they really want to be approved so by. Hard. They want to be seen by. And they will gravitate towards those, you know. It's so much. I fight it now, though. Like, I will not. Like, there are sometimes. Like, I had a hostess of this thing the other night. You know, Flea has that. Mm-hmm. And, like, you, you know, those guys, the chili peppers, they're like a whole other level of, like, you know, alphas. You know, not your classic jock monsters, but, you mm-hmm. know, jock with the rock and roll. Like, there's a right. whole bunch of layers to it. And every time I've met Anthony Kiedis, I, I turn into a high school kid. I'm like, hey, yeah, hi, what's, hey, hi. Like, totally. I, I'm fighting. Totally. And it's not even that I love the guy or that, of like, course. I love the music, but he's just one of those dudes of where course. I just turn into, like, such a fucking, you know, like, insecure. Even though your soul wants to be grounded, wants to be normal around him, wants to be yeah, organic. Just, it's, yeah. It, it's like, it's a fucking nightmare and I hate him for it. Yeah. <laughs> And I mean, he's probably has been around. He's probably around a ton of people like that. He doesn't that. give a shit. Like he doesn't like. And oh, I think he's got his own shit. But I'm no, sure. Of course, he wrote a whole book about it. Yeah. You can see it. Yeah. It's all out in the open. But we're different types of dudes. Yes. And they're like, and there is sort of like, you know, I don't buy into the whole alpha beta myth, but like I do buy into like, you know, there are dudes that gravitate to a certain thing. They've got their own sensitivities. They're yeah. dealing with their problems in a certain way. Yeah. But there is a kind of like, for some reason, when somebody is effectively you know, uh, confident and cool mm-hmm. is real. I really think is what it comes down to is this sort of like, how is he so confident and cool? It's a confidence thing. Now that I really think about it, mm-hmm. like, you know, he's not sitting there going like, am I okay? You know, I, you know what I mean? Is he not though? Maybe I don't see it. I mean, mm-hmm. he probably is. I think everybody is, I guess, but it, this is so much work to because, think about. I it. mean, not to get mad again, but it's like, if you really sit down and go, Oh, we're spinning on a planet. I get like, it. Like this but, but, is no, but no. But here's the thing: yeah. why this is? We are all trying to pretend live a normal on Earth, you know, managing life, knowing that we're going to die in how many years? It's like everybody, to an extent, is walking around trying to maintain some kind of a normal amidst a crazy uncertainty. Well, yeah, but also, we, right, right, exactly, and uh, denial of that. Most most of what we do is to aid in the denial of that uncertainty. Sure, and the the the. The, the kind of inevitability of our our our, our mortality. Yeah, like I yeah. I found myself on stage, you know, talking about like you know having being on statins, you know, for my for my cholesterol. Yeah, and like right when you bring up stuff like that publicly, like I got a little stuff in my heart, and I'm on the statins. Now you can, I can feel the room go, Ooh, and I'm like, you all have heart disease. Yeah, <laughs> every one of you. If you don't have heart yeah. disease, you're now gonna you're going to have cancer. Yeah, one, one or the other. Something is going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, this is not the greatest thing for the middle of a comedy show. I'm just want to make sure we all know we're dying. But what a wake up! Like what I'm like, yeah. Maybe uh, with that perspective, maybe I'll treat somebody else a little different. I'm you tr- know? well. I'm trying to integrate and accept the inevitability. So all right. So you go. So you you go to New York, a Christian khaki wearing. <laughs> Pink, I, 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 left, I left the khakis behind. Oh, um, but I, I, yeah, I went to in nineteen ninety five. Moved to New York. Didn't know anybody. Um, my just to be an actor, just to pursue acting. Yeah. Did you were you going to do a class? Or I don't think I was at a place where I was like, I'm an actor. I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out, pursue it. I didn't know if I could label myself. But you moved a, out of the Southern Jesus thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 
yes, um, Jesus was still with me, but it's like I moved out of that world. <laughs> Jesus and, came, but not the pants. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, and I, I didn't know anybody. My first, I remember, I don't know if you, you remember Backstage? Yeah. Yeah. Sure, the paper. The paper. I looked yeah. at Backstage. I My first show was Shakespeare in the Parking Lot. I did Tamey of the Shrew in a parking lot in the East Village. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> I started, you know, every job under the sun. Uh, I went from like sublet to sublet. Didn't know, but then I kind of like um, started doing commercials. I was always no classes. I did do classes. I was the first class I did. It was a two-year program. I won't say the name. Why was that bad? Well, the guy, the teacher was one of those kind of arrogant uh, drama teachers that everybody's walking on eggshells around. Who? I'm not going to say his name. Well, maybe I was taking the class. No, you though. might have. We'll talk off air. But it's like I don't want to still around. No, he's yeah, not still around. Different... I don't know. All I don't right, want to do that. All right. But like he, you know, he was a good teacher, but it, he didn't create a very safe space to me. Everybody was like, "Oh God, I want him to like me yeah, and yeah. like look at me, look at me." And so then I um, went to the Barrow Group, and uh, they, to me, I'd come from this place that everything was like, oh my gosh, your work is amazing. Your work, like Tony, find your work. Everything was so intense. And the Barrow Group brought back this idea of play. Like, what was uh, the Barrow Group? This uh, just great theater program that um, this uh, Seth Barish and his wife created. Seth Barish, I know that name. Yeah, he directed Michael. Burbigley. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And just like it just kind of let go of this whole heavy work mentality that this a lot of these acting right, 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 the old failed method guy and his cult. Yeah, and not to say that, I mean, yes, it is work, but it, it was nice to reintroduce this idea of play and, hey, like, let's let go of a lot of stuff. Well, and like, just, what was the process? Like, did I you, think it was just like, um, because like the other guy was probably just what scene studies and monologues, and you'd get a partner I in think the it class, was and just that, know. but even the communication of it, just oh. like, find it, and where are you, and da da da, and it's like, oh, you're not here, and you yeah. need to be here, and it's yeah. just all this kind of like, good God, I'm yeah. just trying to. And rather than like, hey, let's just let stuff go and just yeah. kind of try to be in the be there and and this is like your playground and you're stepping into this character, you're stepping into the story, um, just kind of like see what happens, you know. And and um, also he, they did one technique which I always appreciated. Like if I was doing a monologue, they would yeah. be like, all right, let's have a let's just have a conversation right before you start. Yeah, and it was like we would just have a conversation and then you go into the monologue. Oh, rather than like I'm stepping into a monologue, I'm my all of a right. sudden my speech changes, I get stiff. You know, yeah. it's like he's just kind of like, hey, let's just organically get into it. You right. Know? So it's interesting though because it seems from looking at the work. You know, you you weren't a, a comedy guy per se. No, I wasn't. I did sketch comedy in New York, but With I was never uh, this group. This um, group called King Baby, and it was with uh, this guy named Todd Wilkerson, Susan Isaacs, and at the time Jeannie Noth, who's now Jeannie Gaffigan, Jim oh, Gaffigan's yeah, wife. Yeah. Um, and we just did we did sketches, and it was really fun. Oh, you were. With but the... I never did. I never did improv or anything like that. No stand up. No stand up. But you just were going to be an actor. Yeah, I was really, and I did mainly commercials. I was kind of the guy. Uh, my type was like he's kind of checked out. Mm-hmm. Did you? Didn't you do a big commercial? Like I did a famous? commercial, the the Volkswagen Mr. Roboto one, and <laughs> I just I really enjoy I really enjoyed it because the commercials I did were pretty funny. Yeah, and you know I wasn't just standing behind a side of car. You yeah, know, I was. They were funny, and so I really enjoyed it. And when did you? What was the first break? Um, in 2003, well, it took me many years to find an, uh, an agent and a, or somebody to send me out for TV and film because I was kind of labeled a commercial actor. Oh, so like that was your thing. Yeah. But, but those guys always have a run. 
Like, you know, that you're the guy in the all the commercials for yeah. a year or two. Yeah, and, and I was that's it. very grateful for that run because I could, I could knock off some some of those odd jobs. Like, what would you, which, which oh, job? Oh, I, I did, man, I tempt everywhere. I would, I remember passing out flyers in Bryant Park a lot. Um, I cater waited. I actually oh. really liked cater waiting because I yeah. hated waiting tables. Yeah. Because people got so obnoxious about food. Yeah. But cater waiting, you just put the same food down and you didn't have to talk to the people. Yeah. And then you'd have you'd get like twenty bucks an hour. Like these are all the these are actor jobs. Yeah, they're actor jobs. And you're doing theater all the all the way through. Yeah, like you know showcases yeah. and uh, stuff you found in backs, not like off Broadway or Broadway stuff, but yeah. mainly mainly commercials. And then two thousand three, uh, years before that, this a couple uh, managers and agents um, were kind enough to start sending me out people I met through commercials. Yeah, and then the audition for Arrested Development came around. And I remember reading the script and being like, oh, I really like this script. Yeah. Because it reminded me of Christopher Guest stuff. Like yeah, I loved yeah, Christopher sure, Guest. Sure. And got a call back. And then um, I remember I shot the pilot out right when I got the call back. I flew it to LA, shot the pilot. And then I have a specific memory of running out of underwear. And I had to go to Old Navy to get underwear. <laughs> and that's literally one of the only memories I have because, oh, coming out which here. is obviously trauma related. <laughs> but, I don't remember because I think I was so detached of just the, all the, you know, oh. I was so overwhelmed. I, yeah, I have, yeah. It's weird that those are the memories. You're oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't have underwear. Yeah. I don't have enough underwear. <laughs> I need to go to, where's an old Navy? That, that's my focus. I need to find an old but Navy. But that's, but you know what I've learned over time with myself is that that stuff is grounding, dude. Uh huh. You know, that's, that's an attempt at, you know, sort of like taking care of yourself. Yeah, and I remember going while we were shooting the pilot. I remember specifically going to dinner with Michael Sarah and his mother to like I think we went to like a cheesecake factory. Sure. And I didn't really know anybody, and I was just I just remember sitting in the cheesecake factory being like, okay, and having a conversation about kind of like this is crazy, and Michael was new, and I was new, and his mom Linda was really sweet, and like those kind of I have those kind of pockets of memories. Yeah, and so but did, had you done some film stuff before that i did like little bits on the sopranos i was a nurse oncologist on the sopranos and i was a photographer's assistant on sex in the city named tiger (laughs) (laughs) now did you find so so before arrested development you didn't do any kind of like you didn't seem to have enough screen time to do any real character work yeah i mainly that in class like i would i would kind of do that kind of stuff in class yeah yeah because as time went on, even after Arrested Development, it seems like you were able, you can play serious, you can do mm-hmm. it. Do you, and this isn't a question that I was mad at myself for not asking John Goodman in the same way, given that, you know, being hard on himself and, and having this anxiety, mm. but being great. Yeah. Is there, outside of getting a laugh or outside of, like, is there a tremendous amount of relief involved in creating a character or getting lost in a character mm-hmm. or being is it one of because i find with stand-up it's really one of the only places i can be a- actively present mm. because i don't have a choice and if i'm not present there i'm in trouble so like yeah. when you're acting or, or <clears throat> lost in something and i know tv works different because it's a lot of stopping and starting yeah. but you do have to be present and engage you do have to be present those moments if i'm honest are few and far between because if I get into a rhythm like with Julia on Veep or something like that, when I got into those rhythms, I definitely would get lost in that. But for the most part in TV, I'm very aware of like the stopping and the starting, all the crew. I would say I was, I, I just did this thing um, 
this blacklist reading on yeah. Saturday night, and we read a script. And being on stage, I can relate to like your standup. Yeah, there is a, it really forces you to be present, and it's a it, and ride that wave is there really is a uh, it, it's a joy of being present on stage that I I miss. Yeah, because you can feel the audience. You can feel the audience. I'm doing a play in San Francisco in January called Wakey Wakey. And I'm both terrified, but really looking forward to that kind of, those moments again. What, where'd that come from? It's a play, this guy named Will Eno directed it. Was, it premiered in New York. Will Eno, that guy. Yeah, he, yeah. I know that guy. He's really gifted. And he, they did the play with Michael Emerson in New York years ago. And they wanted to bring it to the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco and asked if I would do it. Yeah. Tim Simons knew Willie Know really well, who was yeah. on Veep. And I was, you know, at first I was like, oh, I haven't done theater in so long, but I really love it. Like, yeah. I really love it, and I'm just kind of taking it day to day. I'm excited, but I'm just like, You're in oh, rehearsals? Okay. I start the day after Christmas. And is it a comedy? It's a, yeah, both. And it's a, it's it's practically a one-man show. There's a, there's a character, a nurse character that comes in halfway through. And the one-man show would be you? Yeah. And now, let's, I mean, like, obviously, working with that crew on Arrested Development, that was, you guys became kind of a family a bit, right? Mm-hmm. Over time. Mm-hmm. Like, I came up with Dave. I know Dave Yeah, really yeah, well. yeah. And I love he, David Cross. <laughs> he's a very sweet man. Very. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, if you if he lets you in, he's very sweet. He's a yeah. very sweet man. He's a father now. It's crazy. Yeah. I used to, like, back in the day, like, when I was in between houses, when we were doing comedy in Cambridge, I used to stay at his, like, I, I, I didn't have a house for some reason. Mm-hmm. And I was sleeping on their couch. He lived oh. with three other guys. But when he was at his girlfriend's, I could sleep in his bed. I mean, yeah. like, I have a, bit, a real history <laughs> with, with Dave. And I, I, we were, when we were shooting, I guess, this last season for Arrested, I, was, I held his baby on set. And she's a sweet little angel. Him and uh, Amber, 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 Amber yeah. Tamblin. Yeah, yeah I, I'm so surprised, you know, because he was, uh, it, it, I, I don't, I have not talked to him enough as a father. I haven't seen him in a while, but, but I'm sure it softened him. It's impossible not to. Yeah, I don't have any of the kids. That's one thing. After Arrested, I had my daughter in 2006 after it was canceled. And one big um, way in for this whole kind of waking up to being present thing for me was yeah. having a daughter. Because it's like you had to keep them alive. So I was like, I got to I got to be present here. Yeah. Well, you had a wife too. We have a wife. Yes, I had a wife. But it was just like when you're with her, it's like- yeah. You can't be checked well, out. Well, yeah, right. You don't want to drop them or right, put right, them on right. the stove. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good call. <laughs> How long, when did you get married? In New York? I got married in 2003, the same year the show got picked up. So 10 days before we got married, the show got picked up. And where did you know that girl from, that lady? We that met woman. at um, this uh, it was church. We um, I had There's this group that I, my friend Kathy Karbowski and I started um, called the Haven. Where's that? Kind of sounds like a cult, but um, in New York, and really, we had it was kind of a, a lot of people whose faith was important to them, artists, yeah. and we would just kind of both encourage each other, see each other's work, and then also we would do a lot of, we would try to plan a lot of service projects just to kind of get our eyes off ourselves. Help the community, kind of thing. Help the community, and like you know, in this business, you're selling yourself, so just to force you to get your eyes off yourself. Like what kind of service? We would make uh, apple pies for <clears throat> Thanksgiving for this shelter. Is this, is this the allergies kicking in? <clears throat> no, I'm okay. I'm, I'm oh. good with water. As, as, my, as my throat slowly <laughs> starts closing on the microphone. 
um, we would make, I remember we would make these Valentine heart wreaths for these, um, uh, uh, these people in the hospital with AIDS that were infected by AIDS and all these things of just to kind of like, you know, do stuff outside Get of ourselves. Get out of yourself. Yeah. Because it seems that to be out, outwardly Christian yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. in our business. Sure, yeah. It's not something you hear a lot about. Sure, yeah, you yeah, don't. Yeah. You hear a sort of non-specific spirituality. Mm-hmm. You hear, uh, you know, uh, a, atheism or agnosticism. Sure, yeah. But sort of proud Christians who are not weirdos, I would imagine there was sort of like a cloistering <laughs> sort of thing, like, okay, we've got us. You know, was yeah. there, did that, some of that, was that compelled by that? Um, I don't know. I, I don't remember that. I mean, I think if I'm growing up, I think the faith community is very much like that. It's like, you know, we're, we huddle down, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it can, it's real, it's a bummer because there needs, the more, I think with the Haven, there was a recognition of like, we're all a mess, you know, and we, this is, God is a a source of strength for us, but it's, um, I don't know, the more that you don't own your own mess, I think then you do more set yourself apart of like, but like everybody, and like I think when we own our mess, the bridges are created, conversations are created. You know, many people. I'm, I'm obviously throughout my business. I know many people in different faiths and different beliefs. Yeah, I think and, if you're not proselytizing, sure, or, or, or you don't think it, you know better than others, or you're not consumed by delusional prophecy. And I would even <laughs> say proselytizing is like. I mean, if somebody asks my story, I, I, it's who I am, so I yeah. love to talk about it. But when there's an agenda attached to that right, story, I right, think right. that's when the proselytizing kicks in. Right, right, yeah. right. So your your relationship with Jesus has evolved and changed over the years. Yeah, and it's um, yeah. I mean, it's it's for me. It is uh, I knowing that he and is with me. Yeah, and um, sees a bigger picture than I do. Yeah, his ways are higher than my ways. Right. Um, I fall apart with him. <laughs> Um, he encourages me, I mean, to forgive when mm-hmm. I don't want to forgive, yeah. um, for my own healing. It is, I think this is the, the, the challenge and I get it is everybody has such a different history with faith. Right. And so when someone hears I'm, uh, when my faith is important to me, I yeah. understand like it, that's colored by everybody's different experience sure. to that. Yeah. And even, you know, it's, it is frustrating you know, you look at the political environment and how the faith community is attached to Trump. Yeah. It's it's challenging because I'm like, hey, the faith I, Jesus I follow says the fruits of the spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's yeah. the fruit of somebody following God. Yeah. And when I don't see one of those in a figure that my community is attached to. Yeah. It's uh, upsetting. Yeah, right. um, I'm saying I'm working on two or three of those on a good day. Yeah, you know, but right. when I when it's hard to not find one of those and something, my community is attached to that. Yeah, and I understand. And then that well, there's gets, a schism within the community. I, I I think isn't there? I mean, there's definitely two two camps. Oh, there's definitely two camps. But it's it's something that's when you I kind of fall back. I don't. I think the older you get, I don't know if you're like this. I don't know people's story. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I can't speak into why somebody is following that man. Yeah. I can't, I can't, I don't know their journey. Yeah. I know for me it's tricky. Yeah. I, 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 not even tricky. I can't. Yeah. But, and I have questions, but I don't know. I think the older I get, I'm like, I, I, I can't, I can't put out their narrative of why they're doing that. Right. Um, but I know for me, that's not a figure that I want to follow. Why you're not. You why know I'm why. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and yes, and yes. within the faith umbrella. 
within it's the faith cool, umbrella. Cool, and you know, yes, and I'm, and I'm sure on some policy level as well. Because yeah, and it's yes, yeah, one hundred percent, and it's also everybody there. Well, I don't want to go on a tangent, but it's like there's no bridges of conversation being built between these two sides, yes, right? And I don't within the faith community or within Republicans and Democrats. I think with Republicans, Democrats, and the faith community. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's like nobody, everybody is so terrified to. Um, for fear if they give an inch, then the other person is, they're going to, you know, take something like, so yeah, it's become, it's become like sports. Nobody it's wants, weird. nobody wants to just talk and right. engage. And I, I hope that I can engage, yeah. you know, I mean, I've, I have family members that are on that other side and, yeah, and sure. you know, we're forced, you know, we engage and you yeah. have to engage and just to hear where they're coming from. Does it get you know? ugly? Um, there's things you avoid, but I have to um, see the whole person rather yeah. than the, sure. you know, the things that they are supporting. You Isn't know, that I, weird when you like somebody and you're like, I know if I just say one sentence, it's going to be a problem. Yeah, <laughs> it is. <laughs> and is it worth, and it's to me, it's for peace yeah. and to for a bigger conversation. Is it worth saying that sentence? Yeah. You know, because here's the fact, and you know this as well as I do, I'm not going to change anybody's mind. Something anything I, does, though, sometimes. I don't know. I, I don't no, know. I, if I say stuff, I don't know if I'm changing anybody's mind. And all we're doing is just screaming. But I'm not saying that we we can change somebody's <sighs> mind necessarily. But, you know, you read about or hear about these moments. I know in my own heart, my own moments, where you've you've held hard and fast to something because of your own fear, resentment, or, or, or injury. Sure. And then, like, some weird passing event melts it away. Like something happens where you see things totally different in a moment. But isn't and that your own personal experience of changing that mindset? I, well, you rather know, than I, something that's been told to you, of course. But I mean, there. I, I just you read about these moments of you know racists, you know, all of a sudden having a come to Jesus moment sure, around sure, sure. the fault of of how they're seeing it. Yeah, you know, and like you can't manufacture those things, but they mm. do happen. Yeah there, yeah, there are sort of weird things. I know a lot of people right now are, are have volunteered for a brain fucking that they're not going to recover from. Right, but but there right, are right. moments that that happen on a one on one human level that I think really kind of like you know change people because they they all of a sudden they can let go of their yeah. of their burden. Here's my, but with that, that takes yeah. a dropping of the guard on both yes, parts on both true. sides. Sure, yeah. For that, for them to each be vulnerable enough to be open to somebody else hearing this, I've you know. I can't force someone to be open to what I'm saying. Of course. They have to make that choice themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's, sometimes it's just a window. Hey, look, they're crying. I got an opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure. Sure, yeah. Did you find that doing Veep sort of gave you, uh, you know, at least, you know, proximity-wise, or you're not saying that you were involved in a, a very thorough and intelligent satire of our political system. That Was that somehow, did that feel like you were doing something? Did that feel like service? Uh, mm, yeah, I mean, I, 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 it, it, it changed. Like, I remember when I was doing Veep, I, I kind of loved, um, I loved showing a slice of life, a little real slice of life, what might be happening behind the scenes Rather than all we hear is the perfect speeches, but like Washington, not, not anymore, not anymore. <laughs> but like it's like you know um, these people are it's pressure cookers for massive decisions in the yeah, world. Yeah. So you know behind the scenes, people were losing their minds sure. and being like, "Was that right? I don't know. Did I say the right thing?" So I liked showing that window yeah. of like the humanity behind the curtain, right? You know. Right. And then as it progressed, it was like, okay, 
now there's already a satire happening on CNN. You know, it was a very, and then it kind of just became about um, ego and, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's, it was it becomes impossible to parody now because even even the most extreme satire is sort of like you're nostalgic for that amount of chaos. Yeah, 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 like yeah, a, yeah. At least there was an order to that chaos. There was a respect yeah. for the institution. However, you know? I will say one, not to make it into a moral tale. Julia, right. Julia always made fun of me for this, but <laughs> I think the big gratification I get from Veep, yeah. from doing Veep, is to me it's a beautiful picture of you reap what you sow. Because Selena Meyer, she um, sowed her whole life selfishness, arrogance, yeah. stabbing people in the back, yeah. all for herself, and she reaped isolation. Yeah. She reaped a life of sadness, and everybody left her. Yeah. And here's the deal. When you, when you sow that, that is what will happen. And that's a huge bummer. Like, mm. that's your legacy. Right. And that's a bummer. Yeah, yeah. And, and that... That is the way humanity works yeah. in a way. And again, like, I'm speaking from a place I'm not perfect. I've had entitled moments. I've had arrogant moments. Yeah. But I like, I hopefully I'm more aware of my, you know, or just, you know, having that awareness of like, hey, maybe that's not the best choice to treat someone. Like, let me say the right thing here. Let me be kind here. Let me, you know, it's like, because sure. that does reap a different uh, fruit. So your your faith and, and, and the, the principles of it, you know, inform those moments of, being present like in your yeah. in your times of anxiety like cuz like as somebody who has the faith you know and you also struggle with this constant you know self talk that's yeah, negative yeah sure sure that like i would assume that that at some point the relationship with god yeah. has got to step in there somehow it does and i was just talking to a friend of mine this morning about we were talking about our church that we go yeah. to and my favorite thing, this is what I love also about the Quaker Church, they allow for these moments of silence. You're you in just, the Quaker Church now? No, I'm oh, not now, but no. I, this is what I love about the Quaker yeah. services. They have these times of just silence where you're sitting and just quiet. Yeah. And one of my favorite things when I go to the church I go to is just sitting, before everybody goes, they're just sitting in the pews and knowing I'm not alone. And it's that sense of how he sees me, um, how he created me, um, just feeling um, safe. Yeah. And it's and when having that foundation, um, it it really strengthens me. And you grew up with it all the way through, or did it come? I think later? yeah, I yeah. did. I did. Yeah. It was it was not. Um, I would say, for lack of a better way of saying, like a personal faith. It right. was more of a social faith. It was like a but, but going it was to church. There. It was always there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Now the relationship with Julia and the comedic dynamic. How did it start and how did it evolve over the arc of the thing? Because like it's so unique, that pairing, that comedy team of you and her. Mm. It seems like they, it is so natural and so honestly symbiotic. How did it start? Um, oh, man. It was... Uh, I, it's hard to put into words because it was such a, a joyful experience for me. She, I think she's one of the best comedic actresses ever. amazing. And she's also... Um, I was in such close proximity to her all yeah. the time. I grabbed, I grabbed all the subtlety that she gave. Yeah. I think it was, um, I don't know, we kind of, we, we on a very personal level, we became very good friends. Oh, you did? Yeah, and so I think it's uh, that really, we, there was a ground, there was a respect there, there was a value for each other, um, there, was a tr- there was a trust where mm. if, you know, you throw something out, you, you know that they're, they're going to throw it back, right. and also if, if something didn't sit right, right, if it was like, yeah, this doesn't feel right, it wasn't met with like, no, it's fine. It's like, it's like no, let's talk about it. Let's figure, right. let's get to the place where you feel comfortable. And just looking at the, <laughs> looking at the the description of the characters, 
she was such the mouth, and I was described as a bitchy mime uh-huh. on the show. So I couldn't even, I didn't even have a verbal. I was right. all nonverbal. At the, in the script originally. Just like Gary would say sometimes like moans yeah. or sounds, and he was all facial expressions because she wouldn't let me speak. Right. So it was this really fun, like, I had to create a language behind her to be able to communicate. And then she just, I don't know, just that energy of her putting me down and me worshiping her, having a blindness <laughs> to the way she treated me. Right. I just, it's like, to step in, to know that's not your life, and to step into that kind of dysfunction on a play way is so much fun. Yeah. Like, in life, because, you know, as you know, the base of comedy is very sad. Like, yeah. you look at the family of Arrested Development, you look at the, the people in Veep, they're atrocious yeah. Yeah. human beings. <laughs> yeah. But it's to step into that kind of dysfunction and to play in it and to give yourself that permission, ah, it's just nothing better. Yeah. And and you, so you guys were friends, so you were with her through the health crisis and everything. Yeah, yeah. She's doing okay? She's doing great. Oh, that's She's great. really doing great. And she, man, she has a perseverance to her that is really, uh, just really impressive. Yeah, I love her. I can't, I don't know anybody who is as consistently- She's been on here, right? Yeah. yeah. Consistently funny before she got the cancer though. Mm-hmm. I haven't talked to her since then. Yeah. But uh, so consistently and so on purposely funny than her. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Farrell, Will Farrell can yeah. do it as well. But And yeah. I think she takes every opportunity. Like she didn't just, uh, when a script came or uh, whatever, she would look at it and we, sometimes we would stop and she's like, yeah, this doesn't, um, we need to mush this up. Like this, this, it's always that sense. And her and I, when we would get on set, I mean, the writers, Dave and all of them worked so hard, yeah. but it was like, okay, how can we bump this up physically? So like you drop your coat, I'll catch it. You know, you do this. Right. Like, how can we bring some physicality into this? Always amp it up. Even when she was at award shows, it was like, if I, if I do win or if I'm presenting, how can I make this the funniest thing? You know, She's a like, great physical comic. So it's oh, all yeah. thought out. You guys would sit there and orchestrate it. Oh yeah. It. Always thought it out. It had to be. Yeah. Because it was a very organized chaos. There was yeah. one time- I don't remember what it was, but she was at a presidential, she had not been president anymore. And uh-huh. she was at a presidential museum and there was a president's desk behind these ropes and she goes and sits behind the desk. But she said, keep a watch out that nobody's looking. And then there had, then we were, then somebody came, we had to jump over the banister and then I had to catch her right before she fell on the floor. Right. And it looked very chaotic, but like you really have to choreograph that kind of sure. stuff. Oh yeah. And you won two Emmys for this. I know. Isn't that nuts? That was did, really surprising. But did that, did you feel good? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, yeah, it's v- still very surreal to me. Yeah. I remember being nominated f- f- for the first time when I was and just being like, what the hell? And that excitement, <laughs> yeah. but then that terror of like, oh God, that's, it's, it, feel, it felt pressure. And I remember this therapist I was working with really encouraged me to be like, hey, I know you want to check out (laughs) during this or you want to minimize it just to get through it because it seems so larger than life. Minimizing to get through. Yeah, because it was like, because it it seemed too too much energy. So like I wanted to, I think just in life, like if there's two highs or two lows, you want to neutralize it because it's too much. Yeah. And he was like, I really want you to breathe and I want you to look around and I want you to, this is where I am and embrace it. And you know, since I did that, I remember it. That's great. I well, I think, I think all those things you were just saying, too, about like whatever you're thinking about, minim- like leveling it, but I think a lot of it is to try to get, get, get ahead of it, control-wise. Get ahead of it. Because when you know, you know, because of uh, life and growing up, some things weren't safe, didn't feel safe, yeah. and so you wanted to try to, how can I peacemake, how can I stabilize the situation? How can I take anything? 
Yes, yes. Like, you know, yeah, how like, can, yeah. Like, I'll just make make the most negative projection. Yeah. And so I can deal with that in my head and then yeah. I'm ready. Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to get too excited because, you know, you don't know what's around the corner. Sure, so it's it like suck. I got to stabilize I might, it. Yeah. I, I, it might, they take it away from me. It drops yeah. on my foot. Yeah. <laughs> So totally. you still do a lot of like, you know, it's because it, you're so identified with comedy, but you do a lot of serious parts. So what, what do you, you've, you've done a lot of things, but what, what, what are you hoping for now? I mean, these animated projects are great. What is Forky's ask a question? <laughs> Again, yeah, so, I, didn't, I, I got the, I, I saw the title, but I did not get the thing. Yeah. So this character I did in Toy Story, Forky, he's a, uh, he's a, a spork that's called Forky because his little girl calls him a, a, a fork. And he just he doesn't understand anything about the universe, and he just asks a lot of questions. And it's really a sweet Toy Story was a really sweet story because Woody comes along, and and the spork is like, "Listen, I'm here to help people eat, people eat chili, and then I'm going to the trash. That's my route." Yeah. And Woody's <laughs> like, "No, you're made for more than that. You're made to be loved and yeah. to love." Yeah. Um, and so now this little web series, he just goes around and asks a lot of questions. He's like, "What's cheese? What's love? Oh, what's so what's a friend?" So All it's that an stuff. educational kid thing. Yeah, and just in typical Pixar fashion, just very well done. It would very what, well done. Well, that's great. And what's you know what's your level of service these days? Uh like do you go talk to the kids? Do you do, do I you do, do any of that kind of stuff? I do actually. Really, I just talked to Pepperdine. I I really enjoy talking to students uh-huh. about because you and I have had interesting experiences, and you know I did get my dream, and I did learn a lot of lessons about you know being present. Yeah. And, and also the whole idea of fame I like to talk about. Yeah. You know, it's um I think we all want to be known and we look at fame as the ultimate being known, but yeah. actually if you're known by people who love you and that's all the known you're ever gonna need. It's better. Just because it's not fame can be very isolating and all this kind of stuff. So but I think our society is so like how many Instagram followers do you have? How much, how yeah, famous are you? Terrible. But it's like it's actually fame is actually the opposite of what people it's the opposite of being known. You yeah. Know? So anyways, or being I love, loved sometimes. And being loved. And I love talking about that. And, you know, I, there's this, anyways, I, anytime I can help out, there's this great organization called International Justice Mission that fights human uh, trafficking. And oh, great. I just love um, any time to give a voice to them because uh, it's very easy to give a voice that are, you know, just in our little world of stuff that's running, but like globally what's going on and children being trafficked and it's absolutely horrific, and we just don't know about it. Yeah, you know, we, or we turn a blind eye to it. Sure, it's hard to. It, yeah, we're we're so consumed with all the shit coming out of us, out of at us, yeah. and on a day to day basis, it's hard yeah. to know. And then when you do know, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, and that was that made me think of. Um, I was telling this story the other day, but it's like, um, even in anxiety, yeah, when you can get your eyes off yourself, it is such a gift <sighs> because I I was years ago, and also when I was doing Conan. I was about to step out and I felt the wave of panic come over me. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, I have a choice here. I'm yeah. either going to bolt or do something. And there was these two guys standing by the curtain and I just started asking them questions. I was like, oh, oh yeah. where are you from? Yeah, how long have you been doing yeah, this? Yeah. Um, how long have you been a curtain guy? How long have you been a curtain guy? Just something. Yeah. And then the curtains open and I walked out and it's like, Anytime, it's such a gift to get your eyes off yourself because you just live in this, you yeah, know, headspace. Believe me, why do you think I do this show? I know, and that's I was doing somebody else's podcast, and I was telling them what a gift, yeah. not only to you, but like in addition to hearing other stories, but like man, just like to get your eyes, what a gift to do that. Get out, yeah, get out of yourself. Those guys at the curtain on Conan, I had a thing with them. The one because every time I'd be standing there, I'd always look at the one guy, forget his name, I go, I got nothing. <laughs> 
So like it became this thing. Like I'd go there. You go. Like, what do you got? I'm like nothing. Got nothing. But what a gr- what a, wouldn't it be a cool documentary to tape that section right before somebody walks out? How people deal and manage anxiety. Or, well, yeah, that moment. Can water? Can I get a water? Yeah. Can, can, I, get, can I get a water? Or just pace? <laughs> or just start talking? Or you know, fixing clothes, or just wait, like wait, something. Let me see the thing. Let me see the shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> totally. I understand when you hear those like older actors have all the cards on the walls yeah, just to yeah. remember, because it's like, you know, you just the older you get, you just things just kind of leave you. That's for sure. I don't even know where we started with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's good talking to you, though, man. Really good talking to you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. That was Tony Hale. That was a, I, I found that to be a very engaging and interesting conversation about a lot of things. Faith, anxiety, parents. I think you hear the depth. Great. What a great guy. Uh, he is uh, currently the voice of Forky in the show Forky Asks a Question for the new Disney Plus streaming service that launches tomorrow. He also has an animated show that he co-created on Netflix called Archibald's Next Big Thing. I was on there. I'm the hermit crab for an episode. Arrested Development Veep any other things that you love Tony in. I was very happy to talk to him. And now I will play my Stratocaster through the old amp and the Echoplex. Just some dirty blues. Redundant. Three chords, motherfucker. <laughs> 